Our passage this morning is from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. The passage is also printed on page 11 of your worship guide. Please stand for the reading of God's word. As you stand, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How, unsearch, uh, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chrissy. We come now to the closing verses of Romans 11. The big theme of the previous section, verses 25 through 32, is salvation. If I remember rightly from last week, Troy's three points were these. Number one, who saves? Number two, who will be saved? And number three, will you and I be saved? First, who saves? Jesus Christ and him alone. Salvation is found in no other name. Second, who will be saved? All Israel. Between the first and second comings of Christ, God is saving Jews. And God will save ethnic Jews in a way that will not go unnoticed in our world. Paul seems to be teaching that there will be a future Jewish great awakening. The Jews will repent and turn in mass to Jesus Christ. Who saves? Jesus Christ. Who will be saved? All Israel. And what about you? Will you be saved? The big theme of this previous section is salvation. And we could say that the theme of all of chapters 1 through 11 is salvation. Chapters 1 through 11 are a proclamation of the gospel of which Paul is not ashamed. Next week, we'll see that Paul shifts his focus to the Christian life. How should we now live in response to salvation in Christ? What difference should the gospel make in your life? But before we get there, before we get to Romans 12, what does Paul do? He, he erupts in praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul shows us in these verses the right response to all that we have heard. He shows you and he shows me how to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. The theology of Romans 1 through 11, especially 
chapters 9 through 11, where does it all lead? It leads to doxology. Theology leads to doxology. Salvation leads to singing. Paul has five more chapters to go. He's not even close to being done with this letter to the Romans. But he stops in his tracks and writes this exuberant hymn of praise to God. It might be like a preacher starting to rap during his sermon. I told Troy that I won't rap with him, but I'll lay down a beat for him. It would be like me saying in the middle of a sermon, right now, let's sing. I know Mike's not here, but gather the musicians. Come, let's sing. I know that we're Presbyterians, and Presbyterians do everything in order, but praise is in order. Praise is in order right now. Let's praise God in response to all that we have heard. Paul shows us, he shows me and you the right response to what we have heard. How will you respond to the good news of Jesus Christ? May this doxology be yours this very day. Look with me at the distinct breakdown of these verses. As you can see in your Bibles or worship guides, there are three sections. Verse 33 then verses 34 and 35, and finally verse 36. We'll look look at each of these sections and trace the movement of this doxology. This doxology moves, if you will, from looking down to looking out to looking up. We look down, we look out, and finally we look up. So first, looking down. How does Paul begin in verse 33? Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth. Have you ever visited the Grand Canyon? Not the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, but the Grand Canyon? I never have. Maybe you have. I would love to go someday. Imagine standing at the edge of a canyon that's a mile deep, a mile. We're not standing this morning at the edge of a canyon. We're standing at the edge of redemptive history. We're looking down at God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So look down with me. Look down. What do you see? What have we seen from the pages of this book? What has Romans taught us about the saving plan of God? We look down, and first, what we see, we see the wrath of a holy and righteous God. We see the wrath of God because we see the guilt of man. This is what we learned in Romans 1 and 2 and 3. The wrath of God is revealed. Why? Because we didn't honor him as God. We knew that he was God, but we didn't worship him. We suppressed the truth and worshipped and served created things. And the consequence? God gave us up and we were filled with all kinds of unrighteousness. Who are the guilty parties? You and me. Jews and Gentiles. All of us. 
None is righteous, and we can't save ourselves. By doing good works, good things, no human being will be righteous in God's sight. But look down with me. We not only see the wrath of God and the guilt of man, we see God's grace. We see God's riches at Christ's expense. God put forward his son as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus, on the cross, died as your substitute, taking away, averting God's wrath. He was delivered up for your sins. But he was raised for your justification. By grace as a gift, you are declared righteous in Christ. Having put your faith in him, all of his righteousness is credited to you. You are justified. You are slaves of righteousness. The spirit of adoption is yours. So who can be against you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This and so much more is what we learned in Romans 3 through 8. But what about Israel? Has the word of God failed? Has God rejected his covenant people? In Romans 9 through 11, the answer is a resounding no. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, but not forever. God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Do you see why Paul exclaims, Oh, the depth! Oh, the depth! We're standing at the precipice of redemptive history. We're looking down at God's history of salvation in Christ. Can you see to the bottom? Can you plumb the depths of this great salvation? You can't. No one can. But what you can and should do is this. Ascribe riches and wisdom and knowledge to your God. You'll notice that Paul uses the word unsearchable. Paul also uses that favorite word of yours, inscrutable. Inscrutable or untraceable. My Google search of inscrutable got more than 11 million results. Could any human being wade through 11 million results? What Paul is saying is that no one can wade through the wisdom and ways of our God. It is beyond us. It is too much for us. We can't get to the bottom. No human being, not you, not me, can get to the bottom. At the same time, we have this, we have this book of Romans. We've been studying through this book, chapters 1 through 11 so far. So we're learning about God's plan of salvation, and at the same time, it's unsearchable. So why is it that God's revealed salvation is too deep for us? Why is his salvation both revealed and unsearchable at the same time? Paul tells us why in the next section. We move now from looking down to looking out. We look up from the depths, and if you will, we find Paul looking right at us. He's looking at you. 
verses 33 to 35 tell us why the depths of God are so inaccessible to us. For, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? These are what you call rhetorical questions. Paul knows the answer, and so do you. You know the answer to these questions. Who has ever read the mind of the Lord? No one. Who has ever become his counselor? No one. Who has ever put God in debt? No one. Why are the depths of God so inaccessible to us? His wisdom and ways are so inaccessible because he and he alone is God. In these verses, Paul cites from the Old Testament, like he's done throughout this letter again and again and again, to drive home the fact that you are not God. He is God. He alone is God. And you are his creatures. First, Paul cites from Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, the Lord makes a promise to his people. He promises that he will bring them back from exile in Babylon. And their response? Here's how I would put it. This is my version. God, who are you kidding? Don't make a promise that you can't fulfill. How could you free us from the chains of the great Babylonians? What were the Israelites doing? They were doubting the wisdom and ability of their God. Like Old Testament Israel, do you ever doubt God's wisdom and God's ability in salvation? Can God really save ethnic Jews who are so hardened to the gospel? Can God really save the unbelievers that I know and love? Can God really save anyone who calls on the name of Jesus? Can God really save someone like me? A few months ago, I spoke with some of our neighbors and learned that they are Jews. And I asked him, what do you think of Jesus? And his response was, he was just like any other carpenter. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth spoke. Jesus just like any other carpenter. I think, in a sense, my heart sunk as I heard those words. How can someone be so hardened to the gospel? Can someone like this be saved? Why is it that a partial hardening has come upon all of these ethnic Jews? Can God save this man? Can God save this wife? To people like you and me, to people who doubt and fear, the Lord responds in Isaiah 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Brothers and sisters, sit down in the counselee chair. Sit down in the counselee chair. God alone is all wise. Let him counsel you. Let him... Let him and his truth be what governs your thoughts and your heart and your life. Trust his wisdom. He will bring about the promised salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. 
The gospel will remain the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First, Paul cites from Isaiah 40. Next, in verse 35, he cites from the book of Job. The book of Job. In his suffering, you may remember, Job complains that God is unjust. How could a wise God let an upright man suffer like this? Can you identify with Job in his questioning of God's wisdom? Have you ever complained that God is unjust in how he saves some and not others? In particular, as we've studied Romans 9 through 11, have you complained that God is unjust? You may remember the Lord's response to Job. Troy many times has encouraged us to read these chapters in one sitting, chapters 38 through 41, where the Lord answers out of the whirlwind. One of the Lord's many, many, many questions to Job is this. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Brothers and sisters, what does God owe you? What does the Almighty God owe anyone? He's not indebted to your supposed wisdom or goodness. He is self-sufficient. He's independent, sovereign, free, all-wise, all-good. This means that his plan for Job's suffering was perfect. Likewise, his plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles is perfect. For him to consign all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all, is nothing less than perfect. So what is God doing in these two verses? What is Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, revealing in these two verses? We're reminded, once again, that we are not God. He is God, and we are not. Who has ever read the mind of the Lord? Not you. Who has ever become his counselor? Not you. Who has ever put God in debt? Not you. How could, how, could we, how could we do any of these things? After all, what does Paul say in the very next breath? The start of verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him are all things. He is the source, the first, the alpha, the beginning of all things. Through him are all things. He is the means by which all things exist and are accomplished. And to him are all things. He is the first, the the last, the omega, the end, the goal of all things. From him and through him and to him are all things, including you, including me. How could limited, limited, finite, weak human beings like us know his mind or counsel him? If all things are from him and through him and to him, then how could we possibly put God in our debt? When I was a child, I liked to give gifts to my parents. 
I would wrap up their things and give them back to them as gifts. For example, I remember wrapping up my dad's watch and giving it back to him, full of joy. Dad, here's a gift for you. Imagine, I don't think I ever did this, but imagine if I would have said, Dad, here's your watch. Now you owe me a new bike. (laughs) The watch was his to begin with. I was simply giving back what was already his. So think about it. You are giving back to God what is already his. You and all things are from him and through him and to him alone. We're often like my son, Zach, this morning. He, he wanted to see whose, whose foot was bigger, whose shoe was bigger. So he said, Dad, Dad, put your foot here. So I put my foot here, and he said, See? My foot's bigger. (laughs) In a very similar way, that's what we do with God. God, show me your foot. Look at how much bigger I am. Look at me. Look at you. So as we come to verse 36... Where are we looking now? Where are we starting to look? Not down, not out. We're looking up. We're looking up. We're looking up at the one to whom all glory is due. We're looking up at the triune God who is worthy of praise. We're looking up at the source and sustainer and end of all things. So will you respond as Paul does in verse 36? To him be glory forever. Salvation is, it's a stunning theme from Romans 1 all the way to Romans 11. But at the end of the day, do you see what's ultimate? Not your salvation or mine. Not the salvation of Jews and Gentiles. What's ultimate? What's the great end and goal of your salvation and of all of salvation history? The glory of God. Your end and goal is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Something that stood out to me as I reflected on this passage is that these verses are, they're a stunning reversal of Romans 1. The doxology of Romans 11 is a reversal of the anti-doxology of Romans 1. Paul wrote, back in Romans 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Paul is saying that mankind raises its fist to the heavens and says, No, from me and through me and to me are all things. To me, to me be the glory forever. So the question for each one of us is this. This is the question. 
Which chapter describes you? Romans 1 or Romans 11? Do you claim to be wise or do you ascribe all wisdom to God? Do you worship the creature or do you worship and serve the creator whose glory is the heartbeat, the drive, the goal of your life? Yours or God's? You sing either the anti-doxology of Romans 1 or the doxology of Romans 11. What chapter describes the song of your life and heart and mind this very day? Romans 11 describes most of us here this morning. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth. We get it. That God would save me? That God would save you? That God would accomplish such a great salvation for Jews and Gentiles? So look up, brothers and sisters. Look up and give him praise. Give him the glory that is due his name. Until Christ returns, may this doxology be the song of your life. But maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe Romans 1 exactly describes you. Maybe your life is the anti-doxology of Romans 1. Maybe your life is really a hymn of praise to yourself. If so, then there is such good news for you. The good news is that God is committed to his glory. And this God who is committed to his glory has made a way for you to enjoy him and to be right with him and to be in relationship with him. He has made a way of salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to his glory alone. Will you not turn now from your sin, believe on Christ, and join us in praising God? Right here, right now, Will you join us in giving all glory to God? May you say with Paul and with us and with all the saints, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. To him be glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen.